The psalmist says to God in Psalm 134, But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. With you, God, there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Now, that may seem a little bit confusing. Why would we fear someone who gives forgiveness? But if you understand this, this word fear is not just this, uh, just a scared or in terror, but in awe and in, in a sense a love, a respect, and honor uh, to God. So because God gives us forgiveness, because in him and him alone there is forgiveness, we will love him because he loves us. Sinclair Ferguson writes in his book, The Grace of Repentance, he says this, what gives repentance power is not the guilt evoked by the law alone, but the grace proclaimed to us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the kindness that leads to repentance. It is only because there is forgiveness with God that we live lives in penitential fear. Grace. God's love is what comes first. That's grace. God acts. That is the gospel. It's not that we act. It's not that we respond. Right? It's God acts in love. And we respond in that love. God loves us first. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. This is foundational to understanding who God is and the good news that God loves us. He loves us. Our repentance, right? Repentance is turning from a direction, just literally repenting from anything. Is You're going in one direction. Repentance would be, I'm going to change direction and go in the opposite way. I'm going to change what I'm doing. I'm going to turn back to God. Our turning back to God, our repentance doesn't start with our act, It doesn't start with God guilting us or shaming us because of our sin or the direction that we're going. It starts with God affirming and making known to us that he loves us. Before we ever turn back, God makes sure that he knows that we know he loves us. It's that, it's that parable that Jesus says of the parable of the, the, the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the one. He wants to communicate to that one that that one is cherished and loved. 99 are cherished and loved too, but they already know that. He needs to tell the one. When we, we parent our children or really any relationship with anyone, guilt is a terrible motivator. Guilt and shame may lead to confessions, but usually not repentance. Right? Usually confessions come out because they fear consequences of their action. And so they're going to confess because they just don't want the consequence. Or they want a less uh, sentence to be the less. We get apologies in our world that are really just justifications. I'm sorry I did this, but this is the why I did this. Or apologies that are because you caught me. I'm sorry that you found out. There is not a change in action. There's not a change in heart. Any change of action or apology that is not based in love. Or based on a reciprocal love. That 
you love me and I'm going to love you back by apologizing and changing my action is not an apology, is not repentance. Because no one has expressed love. No one has expressed love when it's caught, when I'm just caught, when I just confess. It's repentance that expresses love. 1 John 4.18, the verse before, the verse I just read, says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whenever fears has not been perfected in love. And this fear is that terror, right? There is no terror in love. There is no this, this shame or this guilting in love. But perfect love cast out that shame. For that terror has nothing to do with punishment. For it has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. However, when people or our kids are reminded they are loved, regardless of their action, confession and repentance happens because they actually love you. Because they remind it that they are loved and they love you. And so they reciprocate that love by changing their action. Not just apologizing, but moving on. The motivation for any action, any repentance, any change is grace and love received and wanting to return that love. I love, I repented because I am first loved. That is the gospel. I love God. I love God. I change my actions. I go in a different direction because I know I am loved by God First, this is the kind of repentance any parent seeks that we want to lead our kids in. This is the kind of repentance and discipleship that God leads us in based on his love and his grace first and foremost. And this is, this is the last week of our sermon series, The Real Last Words of Christ. And so the, the first week we heard a word for the seeker and Jesus asked whom you are seeking. Who are you seeking? And, and he redirects, reminds us that we are, our, our pursuits are wrong and to pursue him and him alone. And the second week we said a word for the fearful. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. The one we ought to be afraid of, the one who has the power to kill and destroy our soul and our body says, you have nothing to fear. I have not come to condemn. Do not fear. And the third week, a word for the restless in heart. Jesus declared, peace be with you. He, he, instit- he says that, at the, he establishes that at the cross, allowing peace and reconciliation, restored relationships at the cross. But in the resurrection, he actually institutes it. Peace between you and me, God says. Let there be. On the fourth week, we heard a word for the troubled in heart, the downcast, and Jesus walking with Cleopas and his wife on the road, revealing the whole word of God and how it points to him, revealing himself to him. 
In the fifth week, we heard a word for the skeptical, for those that doubt. And Jesus says, touch me, see me. Jesus meets us where we're at and engages our doubt, removes the veil, and exposes the truth. And in the sixth week, in the sixth word, we heard a word for the fallen. And Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? And really in that whole sequence, he's really, really telling Peter like, do you remember, Peter, that I love you? I love you. We're reminded that God's love comes first. And this week, this week, Jesus gives the official commission to all of us. And so this is a word for everyone. Therefore, because you are loved, go and make disciples. Make followers of Jesus. This is the great commission, the, the co, right? We're together in mission that we enter this in together. This is Christ's mission and then he gives it to us. It is the what we are called to do. The great commandments, love God, love your neighbor, is the how and the why we are called to do it. The why is God loves us first. God loves us first. The how is that we reciprocate that love. We love God and we love our neighbor. And part of that is our repentance and we start going in the opposite direction. We start doing the opposite things. We start following God instead of following ourselves. That's the how. We do it by love. Loving our neighbor and loving God. The motivation is because God loves us. The what is we go tell people. We go and make disciples. In order for any of us to make a disciple, in order for any of us to inform people about who Jesus is, we need to know that we are loved. We need to know that we are loved. And we need to know that we need to reciprocate that love by loving others. Reciprocate that love to God by loving others, loving others our neighbors, right? This, this phrase that I often say is, right, we love God and the best way to love God is to love neighbors and everyone's your neighbor. And the best way to love your neighbor is to tell them about Jesus. And you tell them about Jesus in your words and in your actions. You communicate what that love is, belief and conduct. And in conduct, the what? The great commission. The why God loves us. The how we love God and love our neighbors. That's how we make disciples. The Great Commission, maybe you heard it, maybe you heard these things, but there's four universal things in this Great Commission that instruct us and guide us. The first one, in Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This first universal truth. All authority is Jesus. It's given to him. This is, this is a statement of Jesus' divinity. He's saying, I am God. I am one with the Father. His will is my will. His power is my power. We're the same God. In John 10, 29-30, says, my, Jesus says, My Father, who has given them to me. Who's he given? The sheep context of the sheep. He's given the sheep to me. He's given his people to me. Is greater than all. 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. We are one. Jesus is greater than all. He has the same authority as the Father, the same power, the same will. And Jesus has authority over all things. All things including all spiritual forces. The powers and principalities of this world. You can get that in Ephesians. The powers and principalities that we are against. Jesus has authority over them. He has authority over his disciples, those that follow him. The call to discipleship is to follow Jesus, to love him with all our heart, right? And that heart is right, is the issue of our mind and our, and our emotions and our will and everything about us, intellectually, emotionally, uh, belief and conduct. We are to love like he loves. Jesus has authority over that. The motivation of why we've talked about that is because God loves us. Do people know, do people know that you love them? Do they know that you love them? Because how will they ever know God loves them if you don't love them? How can you call them to Christ if they don't know you love them? That's the foundation of the Great Commission. Love is an investment in relationship. Time, energy, listening, patience. Love is that investment. Jesus has authority over his disciples and he calls us to love. But Jesus has authority over all the nations, over all the people groups, over everyone, whether they follow him or not. Jesus has authority over all of them. God is Lord over all the hearts. And over all the minds. Acts 26, 18. God is able to open the eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God is able to change any heart to love him. God is able to change any heart to make sure that they are known that they are loved by him. God is able. He has this power over all hearts and minds. It's not beyond him. If God could change my heart, he can change anyone's heart. If God could change your heart, certainly he can change your neighbor's heart. So God has, Jesus has all authority. The second universal thing is, all nations, all people. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is, this is all people groups is what this means. It's not boundaries and countries as we think of nations, but this is all people groups, all different people. Right, Jesus mostly context is, is a Jewish uh, people, all his disciples are Jewish. He's saying, speak to all the Gentiles, everyone, there is one race. God created all people in his image and is his dignity. Sin, the selfishness and brokenness that seeps in, that causes us to break community with each other, causing us to not love each other, 
causes us to discriminate, to create racism, to create different races in our minds based on skin tone. Sin allows us to discriminate in a multitude of horrendous ways. And here God is trying to fix it. All nations go. All people groups go. Christians, by our definition, by the the image in which God gives us, all people, and by the commission in which God gives us, go to all peoples. Go to me, to to, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go. We cannot be isolationists. We, by definition, are not nationalists. We belong to the one king and his one kingdom, which is on heaven on earth. There's a huge importance in the church in leading in reconciliation, in leading in this moment in the issues of systemic racism, in owning and how we contributed to it, and in owning how to lead to it. The government cannot solve this problem. They don't have the means, they don't have the power, they don't have the love of God to do it. They don't have the theology to do it. Secularizations cannot solve this problem. We have to understand that we are created with one people in the one image of God. And we as the church, by means of the Great Commission, by means of loving people, can begin to heal. We can begin to lead in this moment. We begin to listen. It's foundational to who we are and to our image that God has bestowed on all of us and all people. It's foundational to the what, the great commission, and the why and the how. God loves us, and we love him, and so we love others. All people, regardless of skin tone or whatever the barriers, need to know that they are loved. Not just by our words, but by our actions. If we're going to make disciples, we're going to make disciples of anyone. People need to know that they are loved by us. So that they know that they're loved by God. The life of repentance, which is what all our lives is, is repentance. Is us going our own way, which is sin. And then repentance is God bringing us back to his way, back to him. That is what we are. Anyone, that life of repentance starts by grace. Love. Knowing that you are loved. I am strongly encouraging. We had a good turnout this first week. That all of you, whether you like Zoom or not, take the time and join us 7 o'clock this Tuesday to join us for our book club. So we can be a community that starts with a conversation, with listening to each other, with listening to the words of John Perkins in his book, and learn about some of the issues of systemic racism that the church has contributed to, and learn how we can be a part of the solution, because it's foundational to who we are, that we are loved by God, and we are people that love in this manner. Please join together. This is gigantic. If you want to be a person that starts to fulfill the Great Commission, join us this Tuesday. We got God is, Jesus has all authority. 
There's the all nations, these two universals, right? And then here's the third one, Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always and to the very end of the age. So all his teachings. We are to, we are to teach people. We are to lead them. We are to disciple them, which is teaching with our words and our actions, all that Jesus has taught us, all of his commands, not just some, but all of them. You can't halfway follow Jesus. You can't say, well, I like some of his commands and some I don't. I'll follow you part of the way. Then you're not following him at all. You're still going in the opposite direction. Oftentimes we try to, to simplify what it means to follow or love Jesus. And I don't mean we need to complicate it for people and think, hey, this is everything you need to do and you need to understand everything before you follow Jesus. Certainly our minds could not handle that. But oftentimes we just tell people you just need to have faith. Faith in Christ. Don't worry about the hard teachings. Don't even worry about it. Don't even focus on them. Just skip right over them. Don't even wrestle them. Or don't worry about the ones that you don't like. Just focus on the ones that you do. Don't focus people on things that they can't object to. Here's the issue, right? Is that we have to follow all of these commands. It's not just the ones that we like. It's the ones that are hard for us. It's the ones that really challenge us. It's the ones that really push us, that actually lead us into repentance because we know that we're loved by God. That God is good, and these are not harmful things for us. Although we do have to die to a few of them. I don't think we can do it all at once. We don't, we don't get from point A to point B in repentance all at once. It takes time. It takes a community to walk us through this. Repentance is a lifelong journey, not a one-time decision. We don't just say, I follow Jesus, and they'll go continue living the life we live. We say, I, I love you, Lord. I'm going to follow you. And then it's day in and day out, learning what the next step is in our life. If you, if you just weed out the hard things and the things that you don't like, it becomes salvation without obedience. Victory without suffering. God's grace without his judgment, without the cross. You're like, oh, God loves me, and there's no cross in your life. There's no reason for Jesus to die because there's no sin. Or it's love without justice, without God having a justice that is true in our lives and the lives of this world. Philip Graham Riken suggests six things that we often neglect and focus on. I'm going to add one more to those things. But the first thing he says that we often neglect is the authority of Scripture. That Scripture is that all teachings, we don't necessarily teach all that, but the, the authority of God's Word. It's not that these are magic words. It's not that they have authority in themselves, but, but God is the one who has authority. And these are breathed out by God in 2 Timothy 3.16. This is the breath of God. And it's the breath of God. It's then profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for training in justice. That the man of God, that, that the person of God may be complete, equipped to do every 
good work. Implies that we have to work to do. That's the first thing. Oftentimes we neglect that. We teach that. The other one is the sovereignty of God. And this is so easily lost in our days. That God is Lord of all. That goes back to that first universal. That he has all authority every, over everything in creation. Every molecule. Don't make God practically small in your life. He has authority over all your circumstances. Over everyone around you. Over every detail. He has sovereignty over this virus that you can't even see. He is in charge. The third one is depravity of man. Sin doesn't uh, just make you less perfect. Sin makes you dead. That's what scripture does. It's not like, oh, I'm just not as good as the next person. That's so sin becomes a comparison game. No, sin makes us all dead people. That we are dead things that God needs to resurrect and bring new life in. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walk, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work at the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Don't underestimate what sin does in your life. Don't underestimate it. It kills you. It has killed you. God is resurrecting you. Now, I mean, there's a little bit of good news in this, right? Even though we are completely depraved, and even though we're all dead in our sin, you could still be worse. You are not utterly depraved. I mean, you are wicked and dead things, but God, you can still do worse things in your life. That is the good news in that complete depravity that we have. The fourth thing is the grace of God. Repentance, what I've been talking about, starts with God's love, not guilt or shame. This, this new life that we have starts with God's love. It starts with His grace and His action, resurrecting dead things to life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. You are saved. You are given life by God because he loves you. And the, the fifth one is the, the need for good works. I know, right, salvation is not what we do. It starts with grace. But it isn't just that we're passive recipients of this grace and this love. But there's a necessary response in us that God works and gives us a new heart to actually be able to love him back and to love others back. Right? Confession, acknowledging who we are, acknowledging who he is, leads us to repentance, which is a action of going in the other direction, of following all his commands and all his ways, the how and the why. We're loved by God first. And so we loved. The fruit of, 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 our, of our love 
is repentance, changed ways. The sixth is security of believer in Christ. This assurance and confidence that God is working in us, that God is for us, that we recognize his grace. We're not presumptuous in it, but we recognize God's grace in our life. Not thumbing our nose at God's grace. Like saying, well, I'm not sure that he's working in my life. If he's done anything in your life, if he's begun to change your heart at all, he will finish it. This is his work. You are his. John 10, 28 to 29 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me. He is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father, of the father's hand. What Christ is saying is, look at your sin. Your disobedience still cannot snatch you out of his hand. You have been saved. Have confidence in this salvation. And the last one is the one that I think we often forget. Particularly evangelicals we often forget. Is biblical justice. And social justice is really, I know people get freaked out about that word. For some of us do, some of us don't. Social justice is really a subset of biblical justice. Biblical justice starts with personal, starts with communal and societal, which is what social justice is, right? Biblical justice is you all deserve to die. That would be justice. But God, grace enters in and he takes on the death. So social justice in there, God, Christ comes in to to resolve some social justice in this world. And he starts with his church people in their hearts. Like when, when Jesus announced his, his ministry on earth, this is what he said. He, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now certainly, we can all make a, a, a case that we are all spiritually poor, captives, blind, and impressed. But this is not, you, you see how Jesus actually enters into this life and who he actually deals with. It is those that are physically oppressed in society. He comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. All out of his own grace. We need to be people that enter in that. Now, not shy away from it because of a title of a word. To understand that this is a commission given to us. Because we were are loved. We will love others. And we'll make it known that they, they know that we love them. So they can know God loves them. Right? So God has all authority. All nations. All his commands. And the fourth one. Matthew 28, 20. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All the days. All the days. Jesus is with us. I may, I may know it seems like it, there's not days that he's, it seems like he's not here. But he is always present. This is a promise. We are never alone. We may feel it. We may be distant, but we are never alone. This is the Emmanuel, like this promise of God entering the world. God with us. This call 
this vocation, this great commission to make disciples. Jesus doesn't just send us. He doesn't just say, hey, good luck with this. See how it goes. Let's come back and chat after you've done it. He says, no, I am going with you. Every step that you take, I am there with you. He is with us. He is doing this with us because it's his ministry that he invites us along. Our action is a response to his love for us. Love God, love neighbor, telling everyone about God's love through our words and actions. And Jesus is in the midst of all that because we could not love our neighbor without his presence. The real last word of Jesus is go. Go and make disciples. As Moses was blessing Joshua to go into the promised land, and the promised land which Moses was restricted to go, couldn't go into because of sin. He's commissioning Joshua, and this is what he says, Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 8. Very familiar to the great commission that Jesus gives us. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and they shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Just as Moses commissioned Joshua into this promised land, Jesus gives us a command, a commission, and a blessing to go into the whole world. And he says, I am with you. I go before you. Go and make followers of me. And know and abide in these four universal things. That I have all authority. And that I tell you to go to all nations, all people groups. That I tell you to, to teach and abide in all my commandments, all my teachings. And I will be with you all of your days, every day. The God who is the all in all does this first and foremost through his love for us. Through a life that showed love for us, through the cross, a death that showed love for us, through the resurrection that throws love with, and through currently right now being present with us, showing love to us. That the what is to go and make disciples. The why is because God loves us. The how is that we want to reciprocate that love that God has for us by loving our neighbors. Because we love God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus shares in this mission with us. He says, go find my sheep. Feed my sheep. Go find them in every corner of the earth. This is my mission. We will find them all. We will find them all because I am with you. And in Mark 1.15, another way to summarize what his mission is, is Jesus says, the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Turn from your way and go follow me. Making disciples is leading people into repentance. 
leading in people into repentance. Having them turn back to God in their thought, in their word, in their deed. Our repentance, everyone's repentance starts with knowing that God loves us. It starts with his grace. Every repentance starts with love. Will you extravagantly love people the way God has loved you? So that they may turn back to God as you have turned back to God. Will you love in abundance as God has loved you so that they may turn and love God? That is Jesus' last and residing word for us. Go and love. Let us pray.